Hey, welcome back to Jane Transit. We are now in season two, episode two of my series, COVID Confessions, One Year Later. This episode is particularly dear to me because it's a dear friend of mine, Sarisa Richardson, who took an amazing leap of faith and started a retail business in the pandemic. So we will hear about her challenges, her wins, and what's up next for this boss lady. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Sarisa. Hey, Juana. Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's been a long day for you. (laughs) No worries. Anything (laughs) for you. I am so excited to talk to you because you are hitting a year almost, right? Is this countdown to the anniversary of your of your baby, your adventure? Yes, One year on August 31st, it's been since I opened my brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm as excited as August 31st when I showed up to your house. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm probably equally as nervous. <laughs> oh, Always. yes. I remember I remember those days. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself um, and, and tell us a little bit about your journey into becoming an entrepreneur in the retail space. Okay. Well, I'm Sarisa Richardson, founder and CEO of EcoDessa. And EcoDessa is a retail company that is dedicated to, what do we do? We're dedicated to empowering women to promote and support brands that align with their values. And really, my entire mission and goal is to elevate purpose-driven, sustainable fashion brands. So that's what EcoDessa is, and that is who I am currently. But like you said, I recently transitioned from a full-time career in engineering Mm -hmm. as a corporate engineer and left that career entirely, I'd say, in 2019. So I always like to say I'm retired, quote unquote. (laughs) Yes. Well, also, you're so modest. I mean, you were a boss babe in that career, Um, had you know, opened a lot of doors for people to come in behind you. So tell me how you reached the decision to just one day be like, I'm done here. Yeah. I So for me, corporate America was always like that. If you think about the, um, like that, uh, it, corporate America to me was like an abusive partner, you mm. know, like, mm-hmm. so if, if you imagine I'm your best friend, right. And I come to you and I say, girl, I got this man. He is, he, he's really good to me. I mean, every time I'm with him, I'm sad all the time. But, you know, he takes me on great trips. You know, he pays for my house and stuff, make sure my kids got things to eat. And we live in good. But, you know, every day I am sad every day when I'm with him. He says mean things to me. He makes me feel bad about myself. Like that, if, if your friend told you that, you'd be like, girl, why are you with this man? That's like, me with corporate yes. America. <laughs> How? Wow. Just trying to be real here. I felt it in my soul though. I really did. That is the most like realest thing I can liken it to. So yeah, my career, I 
you're right, Juana. I'm typically very humble about my career. And that's because I was battered into being so, right? Like corporate America, white America, just U.S. um, culture in general does not typically like a woman to be boastful and proud about her career in that way. And so, you know, throughout my career, it's, you're almost trained to be like very humble, but still demanding and, you know, still strategic. So I had a very promising career as a corporate engineer. Um, I was certainly on every leadership track that you can think of in any of the three companies that I worked for. Um, majority of my career, I didn't really do, you know, what you think lines and equations engineers did. I I really was a manager. So I managed programs. I managed products. You know, I led very, like saved the company millions and millions upon millions of dollars in cost savings initiatives. So I, I was very much just on a corporate leadership track in a very aggressive way. Yes, yes. I met you in the middle of, I guess, the end for both of us. <laughs> um, because... Yeah, definitely the middle, not the beginning. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was my first stint into um, corporate America. And I just remember being drawn to authentic women of color with very intentional goals and purpose, but also warm. And that was you, hands down. (laughs) Um, And so I, I, even without you telling me that that's the track that you, you know, were on, it was, it was quite obvious, but you were also very warm and welcoming um, and open about um, what you were going through and what this phase of your life uh, meant for you. So Mm -hmm. how, what happened? Why, why'd you leave? I mean, we, we went into how it wasn't favorable, but what was that a uh, turning point for you? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, one, really the, the, our last presidential election with, mm. with former um, Trump yes. um, being elected in office really strongly disturbed me. Mm-hmm. For in it was really difficult for me to deal with that reality, you know, that extreme reality, which I've lived my entire life, which was now finally public, that these white men can do whatever they want. And no matter how hard you work, you're always going to be separated from them, meaning, you know, what they can have and achieve. Like, it, you're just never going to be good enough. Is, right. is what I started to feel. That's really what I felt. Um, that was like the the biggest, I think, catastrophic moment when I think back on it. Mm. Um, so feeling that and then going to work every day and constantly feeling like I was banging my head against the wall when it turned to whenever I would try to just demonstrate any form of like, Hey, I'm better in the the position that I have now. What's next? You know, I I hit my head against the wall there. You know, always going to work and dealing with just negative comments from leaders all across the organization directed towards me. Um, just it's it. Eventually, I just I felt like 
I, I'm never going to be good enough here. And there's nothing that I can do about that. There's no amount of work that I can do here that they will ever appreciate the asset that I am. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And, and that just like sort of made me look in the mirror one day and over time and, and ask myself, well, like, what do you really want to do? You know, what, how do you really want to have an impact in this world? And is, is that, is there some way to do that, you know, that in a way that's not, um, that's not as as scary, like leaving my career as an engineer was really, really scary to me. Um, I grew up in a very low income background. You know, I had a single mom. She had five children. We we grew up tough, you know, so I worked really, really hard to make sure that that would never happen to me again and to get myself to it, to a place of financial freedom where I felt like that would never happen to me again. Right. And so come into the realization that this career that I felt like I had worked so hard for, so hard to achieve, this point of financial freedom could have possibly been all for nothing, right? Right. Come into right. that realization was really hard for me, you know, and it, and it really just put me in a, a bit of a, a low place, you know, at, at this crossroads, trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> risk versus reward, right? you know, and, right. and whether, whether making this jump would be worth it or whether it would be crazy. Right. I guess we really won't know, right? <laughs> Until we see the end of our stories. Yeah. I mean, I think you're still creating it and, and it's a beautiful creation. Um, tell us about how long were you incubating the idea of Ecodessa? So I feel like I've, I've always thought about Ecodessa as she is now, but in, in various forms. So while I was in college, um, uh, during my undergrad, I took fashion design classes because I was always interested in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and during like during that time, a lot of stuff that I learned in college really, I think the most impactful thing that I learned was how diverse um, your options are in terms of careers. So. When I started taking fashion design classes at the school, I learned about fashion as a business and an industry, you know, and and ever since then, I've always been interested in the various ways I could be a part of that industry. Okay, so that's a long time because we've been out of college for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) A long time. Well, maybe I'm a long time. Sorry, I'm not dating you. (laughs) (laughs) A long time. So, okay, we decide we're gone. We hit a low point. Um, what was the, what was that conversation like with your, with your husband, your partner? Oh my when God. It you was were, difficult. Was it? Yeah. So I think, you know, first of all, I'm going to preface this by saying David is awesome. He is genuinely my partner in every essence of the word. And he is just a phenomenal partner, right? He's also very analytical, just like me, (laughs) and he's very much a realist, and he's extremely risk averse, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't just present to him, 
hey, um, I'm going to leave my job and open up a store and fold shirts all day, right? Like, <laughs> I can't just say that to this very practical man, right? <laughs> so, so you know me. I know how to sell things to people. That's that's what I do. Yes, so you do. I created and my, my first business plan was presented to my husband to convince <laughs> me to leave the six-figure making career to earn zero dollars in salary for a period of time to do something that I felt would be worth, worth the risk. So the conversation was difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, to underscore difficult (laughs) but you did it like how did it start what like yeah it wasn't brick and mortar immediately no no so my original plan good old pandemic girl (laughs) my original plan was to leave my job and to do pop-up shops for a little bit right so meaning I would um set up what used to be called back in the day trunk shows if you remember them yeah I set up a little a little shop a little store within any venue that would allow me to um and make it look like a a bit of a fancy storefront and then just do that to you know build a build a brand (laughs) before investing in anything bigger right so um I left my job in 2019 and you know started uh, my pop-ups and then I had planned in 2020 to, I actually scheduled brick and mortar pop-ups that I was going to short-term rent and pop up in cities across our country in like very strategic cities that were interested in sustainable fashion, establish a brand presence there, and then invest in something um, bigger for, for the business. So. Yes. How many Uh, pop-ups did you have before March of 2020? So March of 2020, I had a pop-up schedule for every month of the year. Okay. So, but after March of 2020, I had zero pop-ups because we weren't doing anything in person around the world. Right. um, During quarantine. So, um, so I, I, I thought about a lot of things, um, when I like eventually realized this was not going away, right? right? COVID was not going away. Everyone was continuing to be locked down. Borders were shut. We were various locations were quarantined, like literally not leaving their houses and stuff. So I, you know, I came to the realization this is not going away. Um, so I'm either going to look for a job, mm-hmm. find another battered situation to get into for temporarily. Or, um, or I have to figure this out a different way. So the different way <laughs> was that I could figure out how to make my business more virtual. Mm-hmm. So figure out how to do some form of a virtual pop-up shop. And as you can imagine, that concept <laughs> did not exist and really didn't make sense. Right, people. right, because <laughs> you're I... not touching anything, you can't try stuff on, right? It looks good on the model, but your body got a little extra in different places, exactly. <laughs> so, the, the concept of a virtual pop up shop was just really didn't make any sense to anyone that I spoke to. Um, any of the business partners that I tried to 
talk to it about. So what really what happened when I was not able to pop up anymore and I couldn't figure out a way to do virtual pop-ups in collaboration with people, um, I started to build up inventory. So I had all of these new beautiful um, clothing items in my house and <laughs> no one really to sell them to. Mm-hmm. So I had to really get inventive. So over a literally a cocktail with who is now my marketing director, um, I was talking about this problem that I was having that, hey, you know, I can't figure out, I've got all these clothes. I, and I said like a joke, jokingly, I, I wish there was some way, girl, don't you want to just get on a phone call with me? I'll FaceTime you, show you all these pretty clothes. And she was like, that's not funny. We should do that. And we should call it a sip and shop. Wow. Like, yep. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I love it. So that's how my sip and shop started. Um, and that really is what sort of grew and sustained me during the pandemic um, because I started to build this virtual audience um, because they're really fun, right? Juana, you've watched them. <laughs> they are really fun. Absolutely. And then when you pair it with like, you know, different entrepreneurs in different spaces and um, the models who look like us, like, I'm like, I don't, I'm never part of that. Like, I don't ever really feel like part of like a New York fashion show. But when you put on these sit shops, I'm like, huh, I can see that. And I love that because that's what it's meant to be. It's really, it's a virtual fashion show with very informative and educational pieces because um, it's built, it's that community building and consumer education piece of my business that I happen to be very passionate about. So, um, so I'm really excited that, you know, it's not just the fashion that I hear you talking about. It's also that, you know, educational and information piece. Absolutely. Um, but was the sipping shops making money? No, girl, they were not. <laughs> <laughs> what they were doing was selling off um, inventory that I was holding on from, you know, pre-ordering things right. to prepare for pop-up shops that never happened. Right, so right. It really, it didn't really earn. Um, it, it, I really wasn't like turning a profit as a result of it. I was really mitigating this huge risk that I had um, in terms of bringing in inventory and not really having a customer base at all to sell it to. Right. Um, but what it also helped with is growing my local presence. So I started to um, validate my idea a bit by confirming my audience and growing an actual base so that if I, when I did decide to pick a location, because I started at that point to realize I, I needed a location, one, to store all of these things, um, which doesn't sound yeah. smart, right? You really <laughs> want to get rid of it. But I knew that in order to get rid of it, also need to present it in a way that my customers deserved, right? So I had right. to provide them with the venue to give them that touch and feel. I had to finally introduce them to me. You know, they were um, all, you know, coming to me as a result of this virtual sip and shop. So eventually they, as we started to open up, they started asking like, hey, when are you going to have a pop-up shop? When are, when can I see you again? Like where, when, it, when are you gonna open a brick and mortar? Mm. So that really, it grew into like this necessary thing so I had to sort of have a, okay, 
are you all in or are you all in moment? <laughs> you know, right. It's easy to say I'm all in when I have a nice, healthy savings account. You know, I'm sort of comfortable. I'm like, I'm going to give myself a year or two to figure this boutique thing out, right? (laughs) But then when that happened and I started to grow and I had customers like knocking at my door, it was like, okay, are you in this girl or are you just playing around? Right. Right. Like, was this just playing house until like, you know, Sarisa figured something else out? Exactly. So, um that point, Juana, it was really just like talking to you, talking to um, my mentors and coaches and saying, you know, presenting the plan and developing a plan that I could, in my analytical mind, look at and say, okay, this is realistic. I can do this. Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. How easy or difficult was it to find the actual space um, while, I mean, upstate New York, kind of opened up a little bit more than what downstate did but essentially people were still kind of afraid to come out yeah so I would love to say that this was a challenge and everything but it really wasn't so one of the Mm. good another good thing about that (laughs) battered corporate American relationship (laughs) that I have (laughs) um I got to establish a lot of external relationships Mm -hmm. so people in my community I sat on several boards you know led several community initiatives so I'm pretty well known in Syracuse um, for certain organizations and things like that so I have a great network is what I'm trying to say I acquired a really good network um, as a result of my career and I used that network and continue to use my network now so um it, it wasn't hard for me because I happened to sit on the board of directors with um, who is now my current landlord, um, uh-huh. a woman who owns a large uh, development company here in Syracuse. And she was very helpful in helping me secure my first space. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, and you're saying first space. I feel like there's a move coming. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you heard that. <laughs> oh. Okay, but before we get to that, I'd love to hear the space wasn't a challenge um, because you are absolutely right. You have a phenomenal network in in Syracuse and central New York in general. But what were some of the challenges for you um, once you landed on the brick and mortar? Yeah, so one of the major challenges obviously was financial. So um, trying trying to secure I'll just go down when you're trying to open a business I don't understand these people who because who, who think that you can open a business with zero of your own dollars and with all grants and loans it's just not possible I don't mm. know these people that do this and that say they started their business with $25 and now they're million and billionaires <laughs> I don't I don't believe it but um, I will tell you for me, <laughs> I was with less than one year in your business, right? So if your business is less than one year old, there's no such thing as a startup loan. Banks mm-hmm. really do not want to loan to you. And I, I believe the SBA loans also require at least uh, a W-2 from your prior year. So usually startup businesses do not re- do not um qualify for loans the other thing i was i had opened during a pandemic so um you would think all of those pandemic relief grants and all of these things would help you know a startup business they didn't they're 
all of those original COVID, everything were for existing businesses. So people that had at least a, a W-2 from the year before, so at least one year in business. And many of them also had two year um, in business um, things. So I didn't qualify for any of that. So I always like to open with that because people really think that there are like Black women are opening these jobs because all of these grants and things happen. That is not true. Like this is simply not true. We literally have to self-finance because we do not have, and I'll speak for myself, but on behalf of any other um, Black woman in this category trying to start a business, we don't have generational wealth, right, to fall back on. We don't, we don't have usually parents with all of the, you know, 401ks and 502bs and all of these things many of our parents don't have that to pull and help us finance our business so we don't have these like parachutes and cushions we open we start businesses with great significant financial risk and so that was the was my husband and I really sitting down looking at our finances and, and making a decision if we are pulling from life savings right and very critical savings with a daughter who, you know, who was at the time going to daycare, which we paid for. Mm -hmm. So if we're making this huge financial decision, it it has to yield a return. So that was, I think the most difficult thing is coming up with that realization and really working hard to come up with the cash that I needed to open because I did not have not one form of financing. Wow. I mean, it makes Ecodessa's story even more remarkable because you're almost hitting a year anniversary. We are. You haven't had to shutter any doors. No shuttering. (laughs) We paid all of our rent. I have employees. I pay them. So I pay all of my suppliers. You know, that's a big deal for me as a sustainable fashion brand. Um, You know, and I'm really passionate about that, actually. Um, so no, I, so our business is doing well in that we can pay all of our bills, we can sustain, right? Um, but what that also means for me is I have not been able to invest in the growth areas that I would have loved to have been able to invest in. And as a startup who's opened during pandemic, during the pandemic, co- growing and, and scaling your business during this time, for those of us who did it, awesome you know but for those of us who have not i completely understand because it's it's nearly impossible wow what were some of your lessons learned um that you'd care to share with um the listeners of this podcast yeah i think you know my main lesson i think for myself is being realistic about who my customer was Oh. When um, when I started, you know, I started under a different name. And in the main point was that was I was more so thinking of this like young whimsical character in my mind, because that's what I resonate with. Right. <laughs> you know, in my right. head, I'm a fairy goddess. Right. With wings and all of the things. But yes. my customers, my actual customer in this market um 
does not think that way, right? <laughs> she, she doesn't think that way. She's a middle-aged professional slash ex-professional. Yes, she loves fashion. Yes, she loves style, but she's also very practical, you know, and she has to be in order to achieve the disposable income, which she would need to achieve to support the brands that I carry. Mm. So, you know, coming to that realization was interesting because I always knew that that was her. And I, I just wasn't honest with myself um, when I originally launched the brand. So I think the main lesson that I always love to share, especially to the clients that I coach, because I coach um, other entrepreneurs, and I usually always start with them with, who is your customer? Who is the market that you're thinking of? You know, uh, get, let's develop some personas, right? Let's make this, this customer real so that you truly understand your market so that you can then develop a product or solution for that specific market instead of, you know, trying to do it the other way around. Right, right. That's amazing. Anything else? Uh, so many lessons, Juana. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> talk your ear off. <laughs> Just give me a note, one more. I mean, okay. it, particularly how I, I'm pretty sure this wasn't easy um, with having your daughter while still in daycare. You still had to care yeah. for her, um, taking care of yourself. Like, how did your self-care routine um, suffer yeah. or yeah. was in? Yeah. Impaired. Yes. <laughs> so, I th here's one thing I did learn um, from corporate America, which is not a good thing, ladies. Is I, you know, I'm just I've gotten used to um, feeling guilty about feeling like I'm not the best mom, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is just a normal thing that moms go through, right? Um, and it's it's not okay. We we should know that we're awesome mothers regardless. But I, I, you know, like most mothers struggle with that, that I always feel guilty that I could be a better mom, right? So one thing that being an entrepreneur, I think has um, increased that is that financial risk portion, because mm -hmm. you already feel like you're a crazy person for choosing to do something that risky. But then when you have a little one, you know, and a husband and you've got your family, now you feel almost, or at least I do, um, selfish, right? You feel like, like I'm risking all of this for me. This is literally probably the most selfish thing I could do, you know? So that's, that's a tough thing that, that I battle. I still battle it always. Um, and I think corporate America, I didn't really, I, I, I did feel guilty about not being home as often and having to be as aggressive about my career as I did. But right. I always um, preface it by saying, yeah, but I have to do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is my job. I have to do this. Or I was like, how will we eat? Now it's like, I'm, I'm literally doing this for me. You know, though, but if you were not doing this for you, I mean, can we flip it and say then you wouldn't be a good mother and wife or, you know, partner and business person because you would always be under the cloud of I should versus I want? I agree. Yeah. 
I think the best way that I can be a mom is to provide my daughter with the example that I am providing the other little girls, right? What? So how can I say I want to inspire um, women and girls to know that they can do and be whatever they want if I can't even tell my daughter that, right? Right. Like, I can't tell her that if I'm, if I'm doing something that I hate, legitimately hate and feel abused and degraded in, right? I'm doing this for years upon years upon years, but telling you, you can do whatever you want. Right. And I think that um, the guilt part is white supremacy's way of <laughs> quote unquote, keeping, keeping us in our place. <laughs> if, if, if I can expound on that. On, on, we on laugh, that but honestly, it's true. I mean, it's a, it's a system that designs you to aspire to money as opposed to aspire to living a higher life and you defining what that higher life is, right? Like right. We, we've overvalued so many things so much that some millionaire billionaire can, can get into the highest levels of office <laughs> with the right. most preposterous resume like known to history. Right. We've allowed that to happen by what we value, you know? Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm immensely proud and will um, always support you choosing yourself and valuing yourself higher than, um, than that money, girl, because that money will follow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on I'm that note, of that. yeah, on that note, I want to know what's coming next. You previewed it already. So give us some deets. Yeah, so one thing that I've been working on very hard is developing um, a pitch deck so that I can eventually pitch to investors a growth plan and how I would how I plan to bring Ecodessa to scale to service the customer base that I so know and love after this you know, year in business with them. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I plan to do to scale the business is just improving on that, the sip and shop program that is already going so well, right. And figuring out, um, figuring out ways to continue to be innovative with that and figuring out ways to produce that in, um, an improved like production form for, for my ladies. So imagine it's a sip and shop show, you know? So I have an entire proposal for it that um, I put together to invest in, in that piece of the business. The other piece is um, growing our brand, our brand awareness around the nation by popping up in some strategic areas. So I, I never want to, you know, let go of that one route to my business that I've always had, which is starting as a pop-up and always wanting to return to that sort of, um, that traveling outlook. So that's another part of the business that you can look forward to as well. Awesome. Any preview cities yet, or we're holding it close to the chest? I am holding it close to the chest, girl. I really revealed a lot <laughs> to you on this, <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> You sure have, and I am so appreciative and so proud um, of you. And um, tell us how we can celebrate your year anniversary. Yes, so there will be several virtual as well as in-person 
events leading up until our one year anniversary, which is August 31st. So I encourage everyone to visit ecodessa.com and sign up for our newsletter that I send out every week or so um, with details, including um, those celebration details. And then of course, I encourage everyone to follow us at Shop Ecodessa on Instagram and Facebook, um, because that really does help uh, our business as well. Awesome. Yes, I will make sure to repeat that. But thank you so, so much for giving me your time and your gems and your vulnerability, because I know that your leadership um, did not come easy. Um, So thank you for sharing and and for continuing to, to lead the way. Thank you, Juana, for giving me space. Until next time. Thank you for joining me on episode two of season two at Jay in Transit. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sarisa and took notes on some of her valuable gems. To stay in touch, be sure to follow her on Instagram at shop And you can do me a solid and rate me on any of the streaming platforms that you hear Jay in Transit on. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you next time.